Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. We get it going on a Tuesday with Gerald Brown from the Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. We were joking just before coming on. Richard Jefferson, a one-time NBA player. Uh, was it a summer league game he officiated last night? Yes, he actually officiated a summer league game. But, you know, he's not obviously the first player uh, to go ahead and work in the league, former player. You know, Leon Wood, who is now an official, yep. uh, played in the NBA for quite a few years. Actually, my first year in the NBA doing New Jersey Nets games, Leon Wood was on that team. Wow. Yeah, wow. I remember I remember him well. Good three-point shooter. Yes, yes. Former Olympia, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, and generally all-around good guys. So it was kind of funny the first time he put on the ref's jersey in a game that I was working, and he comes by uh, broadcast position courtside, and I looked at him, I said, didn't you used to be? He goes, no, I still am. <laughs> uh, and I don't think you get around basketball discussion without incorporating the two teams in New York because there's more written about them than, uh, than any other town. Uh, and, and obviously the biggest, the biggest shoe to drop will be Kevin Durant. But if you listen to Brian Windhorst from ESPN, uh, he poses the question, is it possible we could see Durant back with the Nets after he asked for a trade? Uh, I respect Windhorst. I think he's a very knowledgeable guy. I just can't see it. Can you? You know, it's funny, Howard. Um, I have a friend of mine and, you know, who knows uh, Kyrie and his family really well. And he was telling me that some of the internal discussions this been like, I don't think Kyrie's going anywhere. I don't know if this was maybe perhaps a ploy on the part of KD to sort of, you know, let the Nets know, hey, if this doesn't happen for Kyrie, I'm not coming back. And, you know, I, I was thinking about that today. What if the temperature, just based upon the temperature and what the Nets are asking for, what teams are willing to part with, is it something where they just sort of, in a sense, quietly get back together and sort of an olive branch is extended on both fronts for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to figure out a deal that first and foremost, I think it all centers around Kyrie, that A, if this is a deal that is fair for both parties, how can we move forward? And then obviously, if that is the case, Kevin Durant comes back as well. So I wouldn't be surprised. I think that the longer this goes on, Howard, the thought has to be in a situation where the thought has to be out there that maybe this is something where, hey, we're better off together than we are apart. Well, so how, I don't think you, you hang out with the guys necessarily, but how would you describe their personal relationship? 
Well, I mean, I would imagine just based upon this transpiring, I think it's one that's really solid. I mean, keep in mind, Durant played with James Harden, and I mean, again, was really open. Both of them were, uh, I believe, on the USA basketball team, and obviously both of them were open arms, Kyrie and KD, when Harden was coming there. And then when Harden left, you know, KD felt a certain way about the initial way that things transpired. So it just seems apparent that the relationship between KD and Kyrie is very, very strong. And, um, you know, I, I think that obviously they're, they're going to be tied at the hip. And, you know, what's interesting about this is just this whole notion that them, KD wants to leave. I'm starting to wonder, and as you just brought it up, the more we think about it and talk about it, maybe this was just a ploy because if, if these two guys came to Brooklyn together, really are adamant about playing together, they know that the likelihood of that happening anywhere else outside of Brooklyn is slim to none. So now maybe this is kind of a ploy on their part to sort of entice management to scare them into some type of, you know, uh, contractual tactic to try to figure things out, to sort of tip things in this, the scale into the favor of Kyrie. So, I mean, the more this goes on, I wouldn't be surprised that they do end up back in Brooklyn with a contract that is suitable for uh, Kyrie as well as management. Well, it you kind of got the idea that, I mean, if Kyrie Irving wanted a max deal, he wasn't going to get it from Brooklyn. And I don't know who else. Uh, I mean, let's be real. We know who he is on the surface. He's a great basketball player. One of the top, clearly one of the top 10 players in the league, maybe the best point guard in the league. But with him comes a lot of Wells Fargo, meaning a lot of baggage. And <laughs> I don't know if... I, you know, you, you can you say, well, we can tolerate him. We can make it better. Nobody's proven they can do that. Yeah, I, I just think that clearly if there is one team that obviously the sort of lifeline is the Lakers. And I think the bargaining tool and bargaining chip that they may have in this situation is clearly, look, if the Lakers don't take Kyrie Irving, then, I mean, he's just out there with no team whatsoever. And as I said before, I, I just really wouldn't be surprised if this, this was all a, a, a bargaining tool mm -hmm. on the part of uh, Katie and Kyrie to sort of force the issue with the Nets. But let's be honest, you're right. It's slim to none pickets in terms of Kate, uh, Kyrie. I mean, yes, granted, the, the Nets could trade him, but what are you going to really get back for a guy that's on a one-year expiring deal and then on top of that, a guy that theoretically, look, if you trade him to Sacramento, you know he's not coming back. You're not going to get De'Aaron Fox. You're not going to get any of their top players if they have any. So it's draft picks or, or, or sorts. Um, I, I just don't see the logic behind there. And I think that really they're just sort of at a, sta a, a standoff in regards to what they're both going to do. And I think that calmer heads will start to prevail perhaps maybe in the next days and weeks to come he's gerald brown of the bottom line sports show on sirius xm nba radio when you're dealing with kevin durant and when he asked for the trade he got the idea i don't know if he directly said it but he wanted to go to either phoenix or miami well the phoenix part of it might have taken a hit yesterday when the story floated that deandre ayton may be on his way to indiana and he was going to be part of the of a KD trade. Uh, I don't know how factual it is, but we we know that Indiana is cleaning house. 
Yeah, I mean, look, Indiana has been in a rebuild mode. Uh, you know, when they traded Tobias Sabonis to the uh, Sacramento Kings, they they decided to go in that direction. Gave up on uh, trading on Karis LeVert uh, to Cleveland. This is in a rebuild mode, and you know, Rick Carlisle is in year two of that whole process. And look, if you can get a guy like eight to sort of uh, man the middle, I, I think I imagine that you might see Miles Turner somewhere in that deal and discussion mm-hmm. of him being moved. But uh, you know, with Ben Mathen, a young man uh, out of out of Arizona in the draft pick, I think that they're committed themselves as well as they trade Malcolm Brogdon as well as they really committed themselves to a rebuild mode and. Uh, it's going to start with a lot of young players, and if he uh, Aiden goes there, that's furthermore going to dilute the whole possibility of the trade. Because I think clearly on the surface, when this was announced, it was all reactionary. It was an emotional thing. Now we're starting to hear all the different pieces and moving parts. You know, Phoenix is not going to give up on uh, Devin Booker. They're not giving him up. Um, as much as people try to, uh, you know, talk about the other pieces and stuff from Bridges and the other young men, I, they just don't equate to, you know, satisfy, number one, your fan base, number two, your organization, if you're next, in return, Cam Johnson, what you're getting back for a, a, a Kevin Durant. So I think that the more as this goes on and the sort of domino effect will be if Aiden is sort of sent to Indiana, well, I think that pretty much really cancels out any possibility of uh, Kevin Durant going to Phoenix unless you get like five or six or seven teams that are involved uh, for it to really make sense for Brooklyn because if it's not Aiden, if it's not Devin Booker, I just don't think that you make that trade and really could save face and say, hey, we got better. I, I just don't think that's the case at all. Well, we knew that there was something going on when Aiden and Monty Williams got into a to-do uh, in the bench uh, was game seven of the playoff, uh, their last playoff series with Dallas. Uh, I uh, Look, players are always going to get uh, into a scuffle with a coach and coach with players. That's part of the way it is in the NBA. You're, you're with each other every day, uh, on the bus, on the plane, uh, practice, everywhere. So, you know, something triggers something. But uh, I don't know that that was the only example. But the fact of the matter is that Kevin Durant, and we both know this. He, if he's not top player in the NBA, he's no worse than number two. And he's still got a four-year deal that will um, keep him in the chips for a while. Uh, look, I think Kevin Durant's one of those players, if, uh, obviously as long as he stays injury-free, that he can dominate a game. We've seen it. Yeah, I mean, he, look, he's, 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 I think his skills are not in question. Uh, it's just a question of, you know, does it really make sense if you're Joe Sy and Sean Marks? And I really have to say Joe Sy. Look, if this he knows, I guess, does it really make sense to let a, 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 a talent like that go when knowingly you're not going to get back your asking right. price? And what has been put out there uh, into the media, I think it makes it even furthermore uh, a difficult task. Because, look, if you trade... Durant to Phoenix and you get back draft picks Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges as your centerpieces they will be crucified not only by the New York media by all parties in the NBA and clearly saying that uh, Phoenix they stole Kevin Durant away from the Golden, uh, from the Brooklyn Nets 
it, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And if you go to Golden State, if they throw in, if you're not throwing in James Wiseman, uh, Jordan Poole, uh, to name a few of the guys in Kaminga, this doesn't make any sense at all. So I think right now, as we continue on in the summer and this off season, I think logically, I don't think that this deal is there a deal out there. I wouldn't be surprised, as I said before, that someone from the Nets and as well as Kevin Durant management team, or better yet, Kyrie Irving's uh, representatives get together and just try to figure it out and say, hey, look, how can we make this thing work? Mm -hmm. Because we are better off together than we are apart and really having common, calmer heads prevail and once again, reason and logic start to settle in. Well, when it comes to logic, that's the one thing you take out of the equation when you talk about players signing contracts that are through the roof. Specifically, Jalen, Jalen Brunson with the Knicks signs a $110 million deal. That's usually reserved for superstars. He is not a superstar. He's a very good player. Uh, I would not put him in... Uh, he hasn't made an all-star team yet. Uh, yeah, he had a terrific year last year, and we knew he was going to get paid. If he didn't accept Mark Cuban's $85 million offer for four years, uh, you know the Knicks were going to have to go... Look, they're desperate. And so they, they gave him an offer that left no doubt in their mind they were going to get him. But now there's rumors of tampering. And I don't know how you can get it, Gerald. Uh, I'm Leon Rose's president of the Knicks. Oh, yeah. He used to be Jalen Brunson's agent. Oh, yeah. Leon Rose's son is now his agent. Oh, yeah. Jalen Brunson's father is now an assistant coach with the Knicks. I mean, but here's the thing that, that I'm waiting to see this other shoe drop, Gerald. If the NBA finds the Knicks, what are they, what are you talking about? $50 million? Is that going to send enough of a message to stop it? Because it's nothing, it's not going to stop. Let's face it. No, I just think that you're right, and, and how it look. You you know you've been around the Knicks and and to know long enough that they're a desperate team. And I mean, you know, I guess what they're trying to do is evaluate this talent and say, hey, look, before he turns into a superstar, we're going to offer him this amount of money. I think maybe their way of thinking also too is saying, well, you know, we want to take the approach that the Golden State Warriors did when. They gave Steph Curry, I think, $47 million, and people were saying, oh, this is crazy. He just can never get hurt. You always stayed hurt. But I think you're right. This is a desperate team, and desperate times call. Desperate times calls for desperate measures, and this is one of those things. I mean, when he signed, and I think he's an unbelievable young man. I think he's a good talent. Um, you know, just going into this situation, it just reminds me of the Knicks signing Chris Childs, you know, where – it, it, they saw a glimpse. He was in sort of a secondary role coming off the bench. He had a good season, great season. And all of a sudden, it's like, wham, we're going to offer him this enormous amount of money. And for him to come in and not be the finishing piece and not be the finalized piece, I think it just really puts even more pressure on him. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah, obviously, getting the contract, look, that's great. Take the money. But there are also consequences, and there are also that fine print comes along with taking an enormous contract like that, especially to a, a starving fan base that's going to follow him. If he doesn't play well, if the team doesn't play well, it's going to be a very challenging situation. And I, I kind of want to believe what the Knicks are trying to do is say, hey, look, Damian Lillard, when they wanted him, was available. 
there is not a guy that's out there that's a proven point guard yet. Um, and, and, and clearly, they can't build strictly through the draft. I mean, we've seen that they missed out on Julius Randle. You know, R.J. Barrett's going to be a guy, you know, going into the season, you're going to probably have to look at figuring out what they're going to do in terms of signing him to a contract extension. There are a lot of question marks that are still there. You know, we signed Mitchell Robinson, but this is a team that just can't solely build through the draft because if that's the case, the process is always going to be further delayed, especially if talent doesn't develop with the same amount of time the other individuals do. Gerald Brown, Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. The Knicks also pick up Isaiah Hartenstein. Uh, you mentioned they re-signed Mitchell Robinson. Uh, there's one other issue amongst a lot of issues. Let's face it, Julius Randle likes the ball in his hands. And now you got a point guard in here that you want to run your team. So Randle comes with the idea that, hey, he's the point guard. Everything is initiated from him. Can Randall deal with that, number one? Bigger question is, do the Knicks, if they get any kind of a substantial offer, do they trade Julius Randall? I think you have to. I think you have to. And I think their hope is, is that, you know, Randall comes out the gate, plays very well, and warrants the fact of being able to be moved somewhere during the trade deadline. You know, I, I did question, you know, the decision to give him the contract after the year that he had. And, <laughs> You know, I think obviously you want to look favorable to other agents, to other players to say that you do reward guys who play well and stuff. And so they kind of was pigeonholed to maybe do that in the court of public opinion. But now you, you, you're kind of stuck with a guy that I, I doubt very seriously he's in their long term plans. Look, if there is an opportunity to move him at some point during the course of the season, I think it's without hesitation whatsoever. But I think the key thing is you, you, you got him now. You want to make sure you try to figure out a way to make these two pieces work. And if it's something that does favorable, I think you try to move on from Julius Randle and get some other pieces in, in place, which now allows you to be able to, one, have the cap space to be able to resign R.J. Barrett, two, continue to add pieces around if it's going to be i don't know john collins from atlanta if you're able to get him maybe in a half uh, you know mid-season trade deadline get something there that once again now you can bring in other pieces that's comparable to the pieces that you do have in place you mentioned atlanta they pick up dejounte murray to team with trey young in the backcourt that will elevate that team in my opinion um, Malcolm Brogdon goes to the Celtics. Danilo Gallinari to the Celtics. So let's look at this deep East that was deep last year and tougher. Now let's put the Knicks where in this rung? Are they a playoff team? Are they a play-in tournament team? How do you see it? I think they're more closer to a play-in tournament team. You know, um, Charlotte with this whole Miles Bridges situation, I think they're going to probably take a step back. Um, but still in all, I think Cleveland, which was very, very impressive um, until the All-Star break and they had injuries uh, to Jared Allen, uh, among others. And I, I think that clearly, look, let's, let's make no mistakes. You know, Milwaukee's still going to be there. Miami's still going to be there. Um, as I mentioned about Cleveland, um, we, we got to wait and see what happens to Brooklyn. So I would say the Nets are perhaps, maybe, if you will, 
it may be a potential play-in tournament team. I think Washington might be a lot better, just depending on how they come out the gate. And um, I, I think that, yeah, the East is very, very deep. But when you go from maybe one through four and then drop down to five on, it's sort of a, a, a I wouldn't say a big drop, but there's kind of a, a, a drop that's there. You know, Chicago, if they get all those guys back healthy, will they ascend back up in sort of that top tier group of teams up there in the East? So I would say right now on paper, look, the Knicks are probably closer to a play-in tournament team as opposed to a definitive team that's up there in that top five, top six. All right, Gerald, let's look at, let, let's look at the Nets again. Let's say Durant goes someplace else, Kyrie Irving goes someplace else. Are the Nets even a playing tournament team? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. If they don't get sufficient uh, returns in, 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 in their trades for, uh, well, Kyrie would be Westbrook, uh, but if it's, not, if it's not sufficient talent being returned coming back in a trade for Kevin Durant, this team is not even a playing tournament team. And what make matters worse is this is a team that arguably would have to give up their one of their draft picks, that which would be a lottery. I think it's an unprotected lottery pick to Houston. So it it, it, it doesn't look well. It doesn't go well for them. But, you know, um, we just got to see how it plays out. Um, I think it would be a, a, a sharp drop for the Nets if they don't get sufficient talent in return. And honestly, I, I they still might be a team that would hover around maybe the playing tournament, even whatever they got back uh, for Durant, because of the time it's going to need to be able to have players adapt, adjust, and get uh, acclimated with playing with one another. Gerald, when uh, Steve Nash was named coach of the Nets, everybody knew that uh, he was going to be in the spotlight. You got all that talent. I mean, let's face it, a year ago we were talking about the Nets as a very big favorite to win the NBA championship. Then everything started to fall apart. So now you look at Steve Nash and you say, uh, and whether it's deserved or not, he's going to be on the hot seat big time, particularly if he doesn't have Durant or Kyrie. Uh, he may be looking for a job this time next year or even sooner. I think, you know, obviously if this thing is resolved and, and depending on how it plays out, I wouldn't be surprised if he would resign. I mean, look, everybody knows that he was brought there as part of the whole situation with his connection with Kevin Durant. He comes there, and if this team moves in a different direction, is he going to be the guy that first and foremost is given an opportunity to develop this talent? Uh, would, would you want to have a Steve Nash in that space where they go through, you know, the rebuilding process and losing a lot of games and having him there, and then when they turn the corner, you inevitably know that they're going to move on from you know, he's a Steve Nash, he's a Hall of Famer, he's an NBA great. I don't think that they would want to do that to him. And more importantly, I don't think he would want that. So if Durant has moved, I think that somewhere down the line, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, management came to, to Nash and said, hey, you know, it's going to be a lot of losing here. And, you know, obviously your reputation and wanting to have another opportunity to get back and coach, I wouldn't be surprised if he offered to resign. Gerald, I'm 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 make a little bit of a prediction. I'm going to say that Kevin Durant gets traded um, before uh, before training camp, uh, and then you're going to see a lot of dominoes fall. I think a lot of teams are going to look at that as a lead. All right, here we got an opportunity 
maybe to go pull a big trade of our own. And, you know, who's out there? I mean, I don't know. I, I would just say Donovan Mitchell is probably wanted by the Nets and maybe even the Knicks too. But, uh, you know, Goldbear is gone, goes to, to, to Minneapolis. Uh, is that a good fit with him and Towns? That's going to be something that's going to be questioned. I mean, you're talking about, you know, looking at Twin Towers that have uh, played out from Marvin Webster, rest in peace, to Bill Cartwright, to Cartwright Ewing, or better yet, uh, Elijah Wan Sampson, and, and then Cartwright Ewing, um, and, and trying to have that. I mean, Cleveland, I thought last year, I would really did something that I kind of felt like, oh, okay, what once was old will be new again. When they went with that Lori Market and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley and sort of this large front court, which is sort of reminiscent of what the traditional uh, front court would be back in the days. And I think that maybe Minnesota is looking at an opportunity to say, look, we got a taste of NBA playoff basketball, and we want to try to give ourselves the best opportunity possible to experience that more so on a consistent basis rather than just here and there. And what a draft pick would do in terms of development, I don't think would help them in the, in the months and, and, and years to come if you want to be a consistent playoff team. So I, I think the deal makes a lot of sense. You can really try to see how you figure it out, especially with Towns' perimeter play being good, that they will give themselves a chance. And hopefully the biggest thing is they become now a team that's going to possibly, you know, I would say that their success possibly could be reminiscent of what Utah used to be. You know, small market franchise, uh, definitely not a destination of free agents. Um, you got to trade, you got to draft well, as well as trade well, that all you look up, there's a team that wins 35, 40, maybe 60 games in the season, and then they're always in the playoff hunt. So that's the thinking, I believe, and what makes a lot of sense to make a deal for Rudy Gobert, even though you have Carl Anthony Towns available. I'll tell you, that was one of them, one move that was made really caught my attention. What's the name of the building they call in that? It used to be the Forum in L.A. What I, I don't know what sponsor it's named after. Uh, it's the uh, well, the Staples Center or the um, uh, no, there's another name. <laughs> I, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. I would just say this: assuming Kawhi Leonard is healthy, and Paul George, and the addition of John Wall, you look at that Clipper team as a legitimate contender in the West, don't you? Oh, absolutely, hands down, Howard. I totally agree with you. I think on paper, they are built to win the championship. And look, whatever Phoenix does, if they lose eight, and uh, I don't know, if you get a Miles Turner back, yeah, I think they're going to take a step back. You know, the jury's still out on Memphis. Was this a one-hit wonder, or are they really a serious perennial playoff team? Um, Golden State, you know, whatever they bring in, you know, if they're development James Wiseman, they're going to be up there. And then, you know, Dallas would take a step up. But I like the Clippers. And I think the biggest thing would be is if you can get those guys healthy. And I think it really starts with Kawhi Leonard. I think there were some reports out he hasn't participated in 505 basketball. You know, is this a guy that we're probably going to see after the All-Star break? Likely. But I think still in all, if you can get John Wall as well as Paul George, they are definitely the class of the Western Conference. And um, they will be a force to be reckoned with. Um, with all their pieces well, a veteran-laden team, that uh, I, I like their chances hands down. 
Well, we, the other team in the same building, the Lakers, so many question marks. Uh, you, you start with, well, is Anthony Davis going to wind up playing more than 60 games? And then you got LeBron James. I don't care about his age. I mean, that guy has defied, uh, you know, the, the growing process. He's, he's just an extraordinary athlete. Uh, and, and let's face it, he is their leader. But you got this big pot in the middle of what used to be the Staples Center. And all the owner, the Rambus and his wife, and the GM, and they're all in there stirring the pot. It's got to be one person making the decision. And I don't think they figured that thing out because the Russell Westbrook edition, we knew when it happened it was a bad fit. We didn't need to see it on the court. We did. And look, I, I think Russell Westbrook plays as hard as anybody in the NBA. He's not blessed with a great three-point shot. And if, if you trade Kyrie Irving for him, it's because LeBron wants Kyrie back with him in L.A. But the fact of the matter is, I can't see the Nets pulling the trigger on that. Why would they want... Where does Russell Westbrook fit? Well, I think that, look, in L.A., I, I, I would give him a puncher's chance if he comes to Brooklyn. You know, uh, is he a guy that you're going to need some pieces around him? Yeah. Is he a guy that's going to, you know, maybe have a lot of turnovers and, you know, all, all the different things, lose some games? Yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, the best thing I was once told, the best ability is availability. You know, he's going to be there. He's going to play 60, 70 games at least. Uh, he's a leader. Um, and, and, and that was, is what you really want. He's going to give you a, a, a opportunity to be in the hunt for playoffs and stuff. Um, you know, it, it, does he have a enormous value? I think, you know, I, I think it is somewhat, but still in all, you know, it just didn't fit in, 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 in L.A. And, you know, you look at it and say, hey, look, they wanted perhaps to, uh, Westbrook to play the role that Kyrie did, which is playing off of uh, LeBron. Mm-hmm. And uh, being a guy that just looks for scoring, and I think that's not Westbrook's game. Uh, I do believe that it could be better, but it just seemed like they never had enough time, Howard. When you look back on last season, they never had enough time on court to really work through any of the, you know, the chemistry and connections. Like if you remember, LeBron went to Miami. They had some pitfalls. They lost a bunch of games, and they. You know, had an ebb and flow where they went up, won a bunch of games, lost some, but when they even lost the, the finals to Dallas. So um, I, I think that there are opportunities there, but would factor in along with trying to figure everybody out and get on the same page chemistry-wise, you had injuries from LeBron's to ADs <laughs> that really caused the problem in terms of being able to de- develop chemistry. And there's no answer to what the Lakers got. They don't have many options, you know. Cap wise, they're they're hung. Uh, draft picks, they want to have another one for what? Two years, three years. Uh, right. I, I I just don't know what the answer is for the Lakers, and and obviously they're going to continue continue to have meetings and find out exactly which direction they want to go. The NBA, I'm told, is going to ask the Players Association to make the play-in tournament permanent. I don't have any problem with it. Do you? No, I think it's a great idea. You know, as I mentioned, you had playoff basketball, Howard, which I think um, really helped that Rudy Gobert trade with Minnesota, New Orleans. You know, the, you think about the teams that were in the play-in tournament. 
and what it kind of did on a national scale from Minnesota, going, as I mentioned, going out to get Rudy Gobert, then New Orleans, all the things where you looked at them and say, hey, they went and got C.J. McCollum, and now, you know, you got to know a young man, Jose Alvarado, Herb Jones, and so, oh, by the way, we're re-signing Zion Williamson, so the future looks bright. I think that it's a great way to set up a lot of these young, maybe struggling organizations and teams that if you're able to get in the playoff tournament, anything can happen. And at the same time, it kind of helps, you know, accelerate your growth and development where, you you know, you kind of feel good about yourself. So, I mean, there's hope for franchises like the Sacramento Kings who have the longest uh, non-consecutive playoff streak that's out. And, and 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 hoping for them, you know, Cleveland, that was a great reward for them to get into the playing tournament, you know, after ebb and flow where they got off to a great start, injuries, all-star injuries, and then all of a sudden they're in the playing tournament. So uh, I, I like the idea because uh, it, it keeps a lot of fan bases still involved yep. in the playoffs and the game itself. Absolutely. Gerald, always appreciate your insight. Thanks a million for being a part of the program today, and you stay safe. You do the same. Always a pleasure, Howard. He's Gerald Brown, Bottom Line Sports Show on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Let's shift gears a little bit from basketball to the diamond. And the Mets began a three-game series with the Atlanta Braves last night. Uh, and the, the Mets are all excited because Max Scherzer is back and pitching. And, man, did he look like vintage Max Scherzer last night. He was unhittable early on in the game. Uh, and then, you know, they take a 2 nothing lead. Uh, Austin Riley makes it a 2-1 to game, but Scherzer was the story. There is no question about it. Max Scherzer is a legitimate all-star pitcher. Uh, Cy Young winner, he could do that. Uh, but So now the, the Mets have a two-and-a-half game lead, but three games in the loss column, with still two games to play in Atlanta. And they still, these two teams still got like 13 games remaining from now in in uh, in mid July to the end of the season, so a lot a lot of baseball is going to be played between these two teams. I would say this: I think what the Mets have done to this point, without Scherzer, without Degrom, to be sitting on top of the NL East. Although you know, once upon a time they had a ten and a half game lead at the end of May. Well, here it is in mid July, and the lead now is two and a half games. Uh, a lot more baseball to go, but Degrom will be back probably sooner than later. And the fact that they have stayed in this position without their two aces is great testimony to Buck Showalter. Great hire by the Mets. A guy that was, everybody says, well, he's 67 years old. So what? So what? How many baseball managers you got now in Major League Baseball that you'd pick ahead of Buck Showalter? He's forgotten more than a lot of them know. So they play game two tonight in Atlanta. And... You got Peterson going for the Mets. This young kid, Strider, for the Braves, came out of nowhere, uh, striking out people like they're on sale. Uh, Yankees were off last night. They remained a dominant team, even though they lost the last two games to Boston. They, they wound up splitting the series. I think before the series started, if you said to the Yankees, okay, you're going to split the four games, two each, they take it. And that's what happened. They won the first two, opened up a cushion, Red Sox bounce back to their credit. I'm still looking at this Yankee team as the team to beat, period. Not just in the American League. Yeah, the American League, I don't think their biggest opponent is Boston. 
or Toronto or Tampa Bay. It's Houston. Houston is a team that you better pay attention to. Regardless of how you feel about them, whether or not uh, they were penalized severely for stealing signs, personally, I would have taken the trophy away from them. That's just my opinion. You break the rules, you pay for it, and not with a slap on the wrist. But let's put that aside. It's yesterday's news. Fact of the matter is, Houston is legitimate. They can beat you in so many ways. They've got good pitching, excellent hitting, good fielding. Uh, and they're a team that, that you just don't look away from because they're going to be in your rearview mirror every single day. And so, I mean, right now, if I had to go on that limb, uh, the Yankees play uh, the Astros for the ALCS. I don't think I could go wrong there. The National League is where it gets interesting. Because if the Mets win the National League East, then the Braves got to get into the playoffs as a wild card. They could wind up meeting again. And wouldn't that be something? And everybody in New York is saying, oh, I'd love to see the Yankees play the Mets in the World Series. It would draw a lot of interest, obviously. No, the owners of those two teams are going to make a lot of money because you can charge a ridiculous number to come watch any kind of a series between these two teams. But I think this is an intriguing series. A lot is being made of it, maybe too much, because it is July. It's not September. This series was going on in September. There'd be more hooting and hollering than there is. But, you know, I remember uh, going down to Atlanta and calling uh, basketball games with the Nets in Atlanta, and you couldn't draw flies in that place. Uh, the Braves did okay, just okay. Falcons, terrible draw. But now, I mean, there were 47,000 people last night in Atlanta. For a town that most people didn't come to the events in big numbers, they disproved that right away. So they play game two tomorrow, uh, tonight, they play game three tomorrow, and then they'll, they won't see each other for a while. I think it's going to be intriguing to see how the Mets react to their two star pitchers coming back. Uh, Alonzo is having a terrific season. He announced he's going into the home run derby, and I go, whoopee. Uh, the fact of the matter is that he is getting it done. He's just getting it done. He's leading the league in RBI. He hits the heck out of it, plays good first base. Uh, this is an intriguing uh, story that's going on right now. As for Atlanta... Ronald Acuna Jr. seems to be just about there health-wise. And that can only be uh, great news for the Braves. And I apologize for not remembering the general manager of the Braves. But he put a group together towards the end last year and catapulted them into the World Series, which they won, obviously, by putting pieces together. And this is without Ronald Acuna. So now you got all these pieces that they're putting together here, there, everywhere. And, I mean, they took a, a player that the Mets turned away, uh, Darno, and let him walk. The Braves picked him up, and he's been their everyday catcher. So I think it's interesting to watch this Mets team. I think it's interesting to watch the Yankees team. Uh, don't be surprised to see the MVP in each league coming out of New York. You could see Aaron Judge in the American League. You could see Pete Alonso in the National League. That's a little bit of a silly conversation now on the 12th of July, but all we're saying is that here's a franchise, the Mets, that have a tremendous fan base, but they haven't had a lot to cheer about. Now they do. The Yankees, their fan base has always been very loyal. They've got a lot to cheer about. 
and they are. You get go to Yankee Stadium for a weeknight game, and there's 40,000 people there. It's astounding. Keep your eye on the moving baseball. Should be a lot of fun for the remainder of the season. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live, and you stay safe. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.